beans and a services no each year losing Welcome to another edition of the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast, our weekly series of conversations with artists, writers, and creators. I'm Jason Pewoodbury, and this week I'm in conversation with sitarist and ambient composer Ami Dang, whose new project is called Meditations Mixtape Volume 1. You're hearing this talk a little later in the week than usual. We're dropping it on Sunday morning instead of Wednesday like we normally do. We paused business at Aquarium Drunkard this week to allow ourselves to focus on and consider what's happening all across the country, to fix our eyes on what's occurring in the streets and tune our ears to the message of black people demanding change. There are a lot of voices speaking up right now, and it's important to listen to them. This week, our sidecar newsletter will be devoted to links to people doing important work and stories about what that work means. You can sign up by heading over to AquariumDrunkard.com and clicking on the sidecar image, and we'll post a link to it on Twitter and Instagram as well. Ami Dang is a multi-instrumentalist from Baltimore, and we reached her there to discuss her particular fusion of sounds and the way that she explores the middle ground between what's considered sacred and what isn't through the lens of her own life and her family. You can hear her new album wherever you listen to music. We recommend heading over to Bandcamp to support her and her label Leaving Records directly by purchasing it digitally or on cassette. Okay, without further delay, here's my talk with Ami Dang. We'll be back on Wednesday with another talk featuring uh, David Crosby. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for joining me here on the Transmissions Podcast. Uh, Amy, Amy, uh, how are you? How are you spending? How are you spending your Sunday? Um, it's Ami, uh, and I'm. I've been actually staying with my parents for a few weeks, but uh, also trying to work on my house. Uh, just starting that, so I'm about to do some house painting. Oh wow! Okay, so, yeah. so you're you're up to you're up to that's what. So you're you're driving around, maybe getting supplies. Uh, well, did that yesterday, just came from my parents' house back to my house, which is in the Baltimore area. Um, so I, I live in Baltimore. My parents live outside the city. So, uh, just kind of coming here from there. It's a little, it's been a weird quarantine for me. So yeah, just kind of back and forth. Unlike most people, I'm actually back and forth between two places, but, um, yeah. So. Yeah. So how, uh, how, how, how are your parents handling, uh, quarantine? Are they, are they doing okay? They're okay. Um, my aunt passed away a couple weeks ago. Um, so I've been spending time with them to uh, be with my mom. It was uh, her sister who passed away. So, uh, yeah, so she's grieving. Yeah. That's terrible. I'm very sorry to hear that. Thanks. I guess that that does play to some d- degree into the new the new record uh, meditations mixtapes. Yeah. You 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 started this 
project uh, in quarantine, essentially, right? I did. Um, so, yeah, I started and finished these few songs uh, in a little over a week, which is extremely fast for me and my process. Um, yeah, so that was all, uh, this, I think, the second and third week of April. Wow. Do you, I mean, you, th- that's, that's faster than normal. Um, <laughs> Very much. Considering I have other songs I've been working on intermittently for more than four years that's very fast <laughs> you know so yeah we're so I mean we're I mean you, you were spurred on to some degree by by members of your your family dealing mm-hmm. specifically with uh COVID-19 and COVID uh, I, I have to take it that that sort of sense of, did, did you feel a sense of urgency working on this stuff or was it more or less um, what, what do you sort of attribute the speed of, of this particular project to, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a few things. I mean, I think at first when everything, you know, when coronavirus came into the United States and, um, you know, states started to, states and cities started to shut down. Uh, well, initially for me, I, I had a, a lot of things changed because I was supposed to do a big tour in Europe throughout the month of April and also play a handful of shows um, on the East Coast of the U.S. and also festival. So so I had about 22 shows get canceled and, um, and they're continuing to be canceled as a lot of artists are experiencing. So initially for me, I you know, I I all of a sudden had more time and space at home to make work or do other work. Um, I I was pretty slow at first. It was just kind of the initial shock of everything happening. Like a lot of people are experiencing, you know, I was very unproductive, I would say the first couple weeks. Um, And then my aunt and uncle fell ill with coronavirus. Uh, I think it was like the last week of March or the first week of April, let's say. Um, They went to the hospital, I think that first or second week of April. Um, so something though, that, uh, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about my role, I think as an artist, um, during this time, you know, where I'm certainly not an essential worker and I really admire and respect all the work that the healthcare workers and all the other essential workers are doing at this time. But something I remembered was that, you know, music does play a role in terms of uplifting people, to some extent distracting people of course and there's entertainment value but um my music often has a spiritual element and we had a zoom prayer uh service or kind of gathering for my in my family initially it was for planned for uh to celebrate a holiday at the beginning of april my family is sick or sick and um we that was also when my aunt and uncle had fallen ill. So we also, you know, did some prayers for them. And I was asked to sing a hymn, um, as I often am, um, being kind of the musical one in the family. I usually sing hymns at our family get togethers, um, that involve any sort of religious service. And it really just reminded me how, you know, music does play a really important role, especially in this time where my, my parents are, are religious and go to services every Sunday and they don't, you know, they're not doing that right now and they're not getting that kind of inspiration or spiritual fulfillment from maybe talking to the Ragi, who is the, um, like the preacher, pastor, you know, religious leader of, in the Sikh community. So, you know, to have a prayer service with just one hymn, I think was, um, 
in some ways sort of, you know, gave my family some tranquility or some sense of peace. And then it made me think more about the kind of music I want to make during this time. And so it led me to making these songs. And, um, you know, and I think I could have dwelled on them a little more. I could have made more songs or, you know, more tracks, but I think I wanted to just put out something that was very concise and felt like it was, um, yeah, just the, the process and, and kind of capturing the emotion, um, that I'm feeling and trying to exude, um, during the crisis. On your previous records, you know, especially the the vocal ones, uh, you know, your debut and, and follow up, mm-hmm. you folded in mm-hmm. hymns and devotional texts. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's hard to shake the sense for me, at least, that that maybe this this album, this project, mixtape meditations vo- volume one. Mm-hmm. Sure. Meditations mixtape, sorry, volume one. Oh, all good. <laughs> <laughs> it, I get the sense that maybe this was more explicitly devotional or sacred. Um, does that does it does it feel that yeah. way to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think the work I had made, uh, specifically the vocal pieces I worked on in the first two albums, um, the spirituality, the spirit, the devotional hymns or songs, or you know. They're, they they sit in those albums more as a part of who I am and a part of the music I make and more, you know, the inspiration that I get. But this this collection of work is really about that. It's very intentionally trying to make music that is for the purposes of um, feeling at peace with yourself, feeling um, at peace with the world and trying to use meditation to connect, uh, on a deep, in a deeper way. And so, yeah, absolutely. Like the intention of, of these works is to, you know, have a, you know, maybe helping people have a spiritual practice or access that a little bit better. While those other records might not have had, you know, started with that, that same intention, they certainly, mm-hmm. uh, they certainly convey, you know, your spirituality as well, but, but, but did it did it feel different working in uh, this sort of uh, maybe was this intentional realm uh, more or less? Did, I, I'm I'm failing to, to form this into a coherent question. I apologize. Yeah, no worries. Uh, no worries. Did you feel as if this was to some degree um, a new a, a new sort of uh, zone for you to work in, or or that maybe that it tied into maybe stuff related to the way you grew up and first experienced music? Did it, did it harken back to that sort of maybe like, uh, you know, the, the explicit practice of, of, of creating music for spiritual aims, be they healing or alleviating stress or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as everyone's experience, it's just, you know, we're, we're going through something that's completely unprecedented. So people are operating in ways that maybe they've never experienced before. Um, I think almost, I imagine almost everyone feels that way. So, uh, so yeah, I think it made me think this time made me think a lot about, um, about my roots, about yeah, spirituality, especially when thinking about death, um, and loss uh, and yeah, and wanting to draw inspiration from that to make work and also urgency, you know, I don't, uh, as many of us 
artists and and folks in the music industry know usually putting out an album is on a a much longer timeline as I'm sure you know as people have asked me about um as you're asking me about but everything's just operating on such a different timeline whether it's things are taking longer things are taking shorter so I yeah it's it's almost like yeah making these songs really, I, I also, you know, I, I kind of consciously chose to put certain restraint on myself because I knew I wanted to keep these really simple and convey, you know, using, um, like you said, yeah, there, there's certainly songs that are influenced by spiritual ideas and, um, and spirituality and I, and I guess I, what I was going to add is like practice, spiritual practices or tools, but a lot of that is just, you know, thinking about repetition in music and chants. Um, so in a way, I think I was able to finish them quickly because I, A, I wanted to, but B, you know, I put certain restraints into place, which I think as a lot of, um, you know, it's like nowadays if you're a, a multi-instrumentalist and you're, if you're a producer, like the world is your oyster, right? You have, there's unlimited sounds and synths and tools and plugins and instruments that you could play and add to an album. But I, um, I approach this a little bit more just like, okay, I'm just going to use my voice. Like, you know, so on the first song I made, which was tension, tension, tension release, I'm just going to use my voice to convey this one idea and keep it really simple. And then also add, you know, a couple of synth sounds and that's it. You know, I kind of know when to cut, just put, put a period on the end of that track, you know, um, which is, which is hard to do for a lot of artists. And for me, certainly I I have a lot of trouble finishing up work, but I think for this work, because I wanted it to be, um, you know, like repetitive in this, in the sense of like, again, coming back to spirituality and religious music, often, um, including chant or repetition, you know, I wanted it to have to evoke that so that there's a sense of peace conveyed with the music, but also a journey where it it does go somewhere. It does, um, allow the mind to either, um, withdraw or, uh, explore. Yeah. Or engage, I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. Tension, tension releases is a really interesting song because you include in the, in the notes, um, basically mm-hmm. instructions for how to sort of um, sing along or, or practice yeah. along. Um, was that sort of putting your music into that sort of framework? Uh, that, that, that strikes me as that, that must have been a little bit of a new thing, right? Because I think when I listen to, to your records, you know, uh, Parted Plane, the, the most recent, you know, I, mm-hmm. I think that what Parted Plane's part of what I like about that is that you, um, you know, that there's, you can approach it however you want, you know, but, but this Mm -hmm. you're offering almost like a, you know, a set of uh, instructions more or less to go with your music. And um, I I find, I think that's very fascinating. And it's also, it strikes me as part of the desire to do something maybe explicitly helpful with this record. But, but how does that exercise, um, how would people actually uh, follow along with that exercise if they wanted to, to, to try that? Yeah, absolutely. This actually started, I mean, something that I, I, I guess I take for granted is how meditative just making music and playing music is. And, and anyone who's ever played music, I think 
probably um, understands this, but people who don't maybe don't realize it. And so, and, and, and then on top of that, I think that singing and using one's voice can also feel it's, it's just a fulfilling and enjoyable experience. And of course, making a song is connected to the body and the breath. And I think something that is inherent in a lot of meditation and of course the practice of yoga is using your breath. So I, I had actually done this kind of as a exercise. A friend of mine who's also an artist, she's a dancer. She had come over just years ago. We did these, um, and I, I've done vocal meditations from time to time otherwise, but this one especially kind of came up because I was, I, she had wanted to do sort of vocal exercises with me. And so I started to sing with her with a very simple drone, um, on in the background. Um, and knee. So the, the way the track goes, it's knee, knee, sa. And it's, uh, the, you're kind of leaning into the leading tone, which is the knee. And then the, um, root of the chord that I'm using in this piece is sa. And, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Indian classical music or Hindustani classical music, um, those syllables, ni, ni, and sa are solfege. So like do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do in the Western, um, in Western music, uh, we use uh, in Indian classical music. So I was using those syllables because they're, they're comfortable for me. They're how I, how I've studied, um, vocal music and how I learned to sing was by using those syllables a lot. And so what you can do with this, if, if you like to sing or chant with the vocals, you can sing along with me. It's just a very repetitive piece and really, and, and, and I intentionally left a lot of breath in the vocal track because it reminds people too, if they want to practice this to make sure you breathe at the same time that I'm breathing. So you breathe take a nice big breath, inhale and say, nee, nee, and then, and really like feel that tension and, and you'll feel the tension. I think if you're singing along to the song and then release it on and you, and, and if you don't sing or if you don't feel comfortable singing, you could just breathe along with it and listen. Um, you could also just say the syllables, ni, ni, sa, and use those to guide your breath. Um, but yeah, that was something I've been, I had been wanting to play more with the idea of, um, meditation and the voice. I was thinking about it more in a live setting initially and doing sort of like guided vocal meditation, but, um, I also want to record music. So it, it just, uh, kind of happened at the same time. And then I, I was, you know, I thought, why don't I just record this track and see how it goes? Um, so hopefully I, I might also do a, a, like some live sessions at some point, um, that are also sort of like music and a guided meditation. Um, but this is, so this is a little bit of an introduction to that. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, it's, it's a really Thank gorgeous, you. it's a really gorgeous recording. Thank you. Sikhism, you know, obviously mm-hmm. it, we're talking about a, a very musical religion. I guess all, mm-hmm. most faith traditions incorporate music on a pretty elemental level. Um, yeah. But but I, I'm curious, you know, I, I remember growing up and, and going to church and, and the hymns that I heard, I, I, I loved them and I loved singing with other people, but they didn't necessarily uh, speak to me the way... I don't know, right. rock music or punk music or heavy metal or whatever, I, mm-hmm. you know, whatever I was hearing in other contexts, it, it always felt slightly off to the side of that for me. Uh, and then as I've grown older, obviously, I've learned how to 
understand the shared commonality there. But but I'm curious, mm-hmm. you, you know, growing up listening to, I know you, you were a fan of, you know, stuff like CNC Music Factory or Depeche Mode mm-hmm. or Massive Attack and, and, and you know, Bollywood uh-huh. music, Indian pop music as well. Mm-hmm. I wonder, did that sort of pop culture engagement ever feel at odds with your religious practice? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And And I should also like define, I, I do have a lot of issues with organized religion and I, I'm, I consider myself a spiritual person. And while I identify as sick, I don't, I'm not the most devout sick. Um, but I do take a lot of inspiration, um, from the sick faith, uh, the principles, the scripture, the music, as you mentioned, but yeah, certainly, uh, I think a lot of people find it blasphemous that I take sick hymns and produce them. Uh, and I just, uh, the way I guess I reconcile that is to me, it just, it gives by working on music and kind of reproducing scripture. I end up the process that, that, uh, it results in for me is first of all, I take a piece of scripture and think about how it applies to my life and those principles, those ideas, whether it's trying to tell myself to live more simply, um, or, you know, that I, that, that what's really important is connecting with humanity and, you know, those kinds of ideals. Um, and, but on the other hand, by like putting, you know, by using samples and synths and making something more interesting to me, more interesting with, um, the scripture results in something that I feel is more relevant for me. And I kind of go through a process or a journey during that process from starting with just, a blank, uh, session, you know, on my computer, for example, with no sense and no samples and, and having the, the lyrics, maybe picking some scripture that I'm interested in exploring until the end, you know? So it, it really helps me personally focus. It's almost like that whole process is a meditation, sometimes very frustrating one, if you're dealing with technology that doesn't want to work with you, but, um, that whole process helps me, I think, uh, uh, you know, just really deeply engaged with certain ideals that I'm trying to incorporate with incorporate into my life. And, uh, yeah. And then, and then again, just helps me, um, or allows me to kind of use more, what more contemporary technologies since samples, all the kind of more fun and exciting musical stuff that I like. So I, I know that not everyone agrees. I think a lot of folks who are, um, a little bit more purists with regards to religion and with music, um, don't really agree with taking one and kind of, and mixing it with the other. Um, but that's, it's just something I like to do, I guess, for lack of a better way to say it. Um, yeah, it's what, uh, that's what artists do more or less, you know? Right. And then I think related to that, and you kind of touched on this, which I, I, I'd imagine, um, uh, once I started to kind of go to shows more as, you know, my late teens, early twenties, um, and engage in, in an arts community, what I realized was that that, what, that was absolutely a spiritual, not just like my music as a spiritual practice, but my community, like going to live shows and supporting other artists is a spiritual practice. I mean, that there's nothing that replaces that feeling. And I'm sure so many people right now are missing this, but that feeling of being in a room, seeing somebody play live, sing live and feeling the vibrations in your body, you know, this, you can't replicate that experience any other way. No, so I, sure. yeah, that really, I think that my, um, something I, that's something I love about playing live and, and experiencing live music. It's all part of a bigger 
um, you know, a, a spiritual practice and, and a community for me. Yeah. You use the term uh, blasphemy or blasphemous. Um, <laughs> Very, yeah. It, it, have, have you, have you, I mean, have you had some, some uh, have you had difficult conversations okay. with, with some people <laughs> about, about, you know, their interpretation of, the you know the, I don't know the lack of of purity or, or or maybe the 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 bucking of certain dogmatic constraints. I mean, mm-hmm. ha, have you had those kind of conversations? And and well, how do you handle that sort of idea? You know. Sure, I'll be honest. I actually have not had to. I've seen comments online of you know maybe I think when I first started getting press, you know, someone saying oh what she's doing is not right or whatever. I haven't really engaged in the conversation. I'm happy to engage in it and I invite it. Um, I, the way I see it is that, you know, Sikhism for one thing is not a very old religion. It the first the founder of Sikh religion was born in the 1400s and it didn't become an organized religion until the 1700s. And even since then, the way in which Sikh music, for example, um, has been performed has changed. And for example, now it's most commonly performed with the harmonium or vaja, and it's commonly known in, in Punjabi as a vaja, commonly played with harmonium and tabla. But it wasn't until the early or maybe mid-1900s that the harmonium was introduced uh, into Sikh music, or maybe more like the 1800s. But for a long time, harmoniums were associated with music that was played in um, clubs and dan- dancing halls, quote-unquote, or um, you know, places where, where there were ladies dancing and people drinking and things like that. Um, and, and Girtin or Sikh music was accompanied by, um, the Rabab and, uh, the Sarangi and the Dilruba, which are, um, traditional, uh, string instruments and, and the Dabla, which is the, the Indian hand drums, um, which, which the Dabla has continued to be used for, for many years with, with, along with Sikh music. So my commentary would, to someone who would, who doesn't agree with my music is that music has been changing and advancing in different cultures and, you know, among different communities. And every, every time people move to a new place, they take something with them and then maybe they add something to it. I think that's, you know, the process of immigration has also resulted in so many new kinds of music, jazz and, um, you know, cumbia and, you know, so reggaeton, all those, all of those, you know, you could probably point to every kind of genre of music, um, and, and, and track how immigration has also resulted in those, um, styles. And then on top, and then also an aside to that is I think a lot of people might not agree with me singing, using, um, six scripture and singing in hall, like clubs and bars, which is something I do also feel I, I like struggle with a little bit, especially depending on like the flavor of the show, if it's a real rowdy show. Um, but I think for me, that's just, uh, but I guess the way I explain that is that I, I feel like if you, I don't know, I just feel like I'm my music and, and also the, the scripture that I'm using, like, I want to be able to share it with as many as people as possible. So why should it be restricted to a certain venue? Um, I, to me, that just seems very exclusive when I'd rather be inclusive. Well, and it also sounds like you're talking about very personal choices for you. So it's a matter yeah. of yeah. like, 
your own spiritual autonomy, it sounds like, is something that, that feels very important and crucial to you, is that you're able to do... You, you you know, you're not, uh, <laughs> to borrow a term, you know, from Christianity, you're not necessarily evangelizing so much as speaking to your right. own experience. And the idea that somebody would say that that only belongs one place, I don't think any artist is comfortable with that kind of limiting, you know, or that kind of confining right. and quartering off. So I, I, I find it, I find it wild and, and, and fascinating that, that, Religious ideas have always been explored in in our bars and our clubs. You know what I mean? Dancing. Right. These are all that. This is actually maybe maybe uh, places of worship are are that might be where this stuff sort of gets sussed out and cemented. But um, but in bars and clubs and all that stuff, that's where ideas live. You know. So I don't know. I, I find it very interesting. Exactly. You, you know, I know that, um, I, I mean, to, to go back a little bit, you know, was, mm-hmm. what were religious services sort of the first venue where you, you performed, uh, music in, in public? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think between that and, I mean, I started taking piano lessons and violin lessons when I was a little kid. So it was either the Gurdwara or like a recital when yeah. I was six, make, make, making very squeaky, un, you know, unpleasant sounds. Um, so <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> did, how but yeah, I mean, I did grow up going to services, you know, almost every weekend, more or less. And I went to summer camp that was religious summer camp. So, uh, where I also learned a lot about sick music and, um, and, and performed. So uh, it was, yeah, between one of those. Were you, was, was, was piano, piano and, and violin, those were before the sitar? Those were before, but very short lived. Like I was six, I think when I started piano and played for pro- less than two years. And I think I was six or seven when I played violin and played for two or three years. So was, what I if, wouldn't be able to do anything coherent on either one now. <laughs> I mean, sort of. <laughs> well, what, what what attracted you to the to the sitar? Sure. Well, I uh, my mom has always my mom never formally learned music, and she always wished she had. Uh, and so I think when she, you know, she wanted to keep fostering uh, that creativity when, when she saw that I was interested in it and that I was good at it. Um, and so around when I was twelve. She found, I grew up in Maryland, um, and she found a teacher here who's a, an immigrant, um, guy from, from Bangladesh and Calcutta, I guess I should say, actually, um, uh, Hamid Hussain. So I, I started studying sitar with him when I was 12, really just cause my mom was just like, my mother asked, do you want to play sitar? And I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, and I hated it. <laughs> I wow. hated practicing. I hated doing scales over and over again. I would always procrastinate. I'd put it off. And then I think at 10 or 10 30 at night, my mom, and she was a little bit of a tiger mom. She would be like, have you practiced? And I'd say no. And then she'd make me practice and I'd be falling asleep. Um, but you know, I, I, in that way, I owe it to her, you know, she, and she, she really forced me to stick it out for, I think, I think I took lessons for more, almost three years, the first go around. Then I, then she was like, okay, fine. If you want to quit, go for it. I'm not going to push you anymore. And then I came back to it on my own. And then I studied with a guru in Delhi who I've studied with on and off. So I really, I came back to it on my own, but I owe it to her for really pushing me. <laughs> when you, yeah. 
when you came back to it on your own, um, mm-hmm. did you have expanded context for how you might how you might play? At that point, were you starting to think about like how you could use the sitar to make uh, very distinctive music that was your own, but maybe also at that point, had you sort of started to come around on the idea of maybe, you know, having a, having a sort of a grander vision for how you could take this practice that you inherited, but, but sort of do it, you know, you know, in a way that was reflective of, of your new like vision, you know, or your interests. Absolutely. Uh, I, I came back to it on my own, my senior year of high school. And by then I knew I was, I really wanted to take music more seriously in my life, quote unquote, whatever that meant. I didn't know if I was going to write music or, you know, I don't know, or teach, but, um, I wanted to take it more seriously. I was also, you know, more interested in counterculture and, um, uh, you know, just different kinds of, you know, anything kind of like not the mainstream. So I think at first it was sort of a way for me to like, Deep, more deeply connect with my identity and like through, through music and through the arts. And then, uh, when I went, uh, to study, when I established the, my, um, relationship with my guru in Delhi, Anupam Mahajan, um, that was my senior year of college. And that was around that time. I would, um, exactly what you said, which, you know, exactly what you're proposing happened where I had been making music for a few years, but was still, and and, and kind of knew that I, you know, I was looking to my Sikh and South Asian Punjabi identity to pull from, for my, to, to create work. But I think I felt like I needed my practice to go deeper. So, um, that's, yeah, I, I spent a semester abroad and I established that relationship with her. And then since then I've gotten to go to India about five times and spend time with her and going to her house every day. And, uh, so yeah. Did you have, I have to ask, like really bad mm-hmm. psychedelic rock bros asking you to play with them uh, back oh, home? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It still happens, you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the whole, all, all, the, all the interactions. Yeah. I, um, I, I, <laughs> I think about how something like, um, and I want to try to I want to try to say this with a lot of like delicacy and empathy because you know yeah. I don't know I'm a I'm I don't know more or less I'm a psychedelic rock bro but um, yeah and I, like not maybe not the bro part but I you know my music is psychedelic it, it is for, it, yeah yeah it is so. I, I I guess what I'm what I'm sort of getting at is that weird that, I don't know that that to to some degree or another. Um, you're playing with this like you're playing with this instrument that's very associated with a sort of specific thing that has been folded into the counterculture at large but in a way that I sometimes wonder how deep the interaction between the counterculture and the ideas you're playing with has gone do you know what I mean like I think there's oh absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. and, and and I find that you're you're like your music is positing a much deeper conversation and a much deeper engagement between ideas of the counterculture and psychedelia and spirituality, mm-hmm. but also, you know, there's elements of dance culture and there's obviously mm-hmm. the, the underground and all of these things that are sort of, 
I just feel like confluence is the word I kept coming back to as I was trying oh, to put yeah. questions together. You know? I mean, this, I think I mean, first and foremost, or like fundamentally, like my music is just really an extension of me as a first or second generation immigrant, depending on how you see it. My parents immigrated here. I was born and raised here. Um, grew up on AIM chat, listening to dial-up modems. It's like, I always claim this is like my, the first noise that I ever heard was like dialing onto the AOL every day. Um, and it, it really fundamentally was just, my music is such an outcome of the way I have moved in through this world as a South Asian American, Sikh American, Punjabi American in this post, whatever we're calling this post internet world right now. And sort of growing up with, um, with exactly like what you said, the confluence of analog and digital, um, of, of religions, of, uh, cultures, communities, uh, like you're saying dance also, I mean, I'm a spiritual person and I, I also love to go out and dance at a club, you know, like there are all, all these, I take, I take so much inspiration just from what I hear and experience and what I enjoy and what I find to be fulfilling, uh, in, in my everyday life. Um, but I think that that my experience is also very different from so many of these, like, like you were saying earlier, the psych bros or just people making indie rock or whatever. And, and, and it's funny to me because to me, it feels so natural. Um, but that is just because there just aren't as many, maybe women or genderqueer immigrants. I mean, now more so there are more people, I think that our, our community of makers and musicians coming up, there are so many more diverse identities and, um, making as a result, a lot more diverse kinds of music. Um, but it really is just such an outcome of who I am and what I care about. And also think, and then, and then when you dig deeper, yeah, uh, uh, it also is critique. uh, Like I'm in some ways I'm critiquing spirituality and how people choose to practice religion. And I'm critiquing, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of reclaiming, um, the, the colonized body and the colonized space and the colonization, the colonization of music of like hetero EDM, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to also play with all of these ideas. Um, that, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's an intense set of ideas all at once. And I think that that's, yeah. and I, but I think that, <laughs> I think that that's, I think that's fantastic because I mean, I, I guess, I guess, yeah, the reason that I, I, I felt like that was an important kind of area for us to get into is because mm-hmm. I, because I do think that, that for a lot of people, um, you know, well-meaning people, you know, uh, I think that, that maybe that sort of uh, colonial mindset is, um, I think it's baked in to a lot of people's engagement with music. Yeah. And... Um, and I guess what I'm getting at is if I had listened to your record and I found out it was like a white, you know, a white bro or whatever, um, I, I might, I might be a little bit suspicious or wonder how do we parse that? You know, your, your, your label even used the, the, the phrase East meets West in the, in the, yeah. in, in some of the, in some of the, the biographical materials. And I thought a lot about that because I, I wonder I think that's a beautiful idea, right? The same the same way we were talking about um, how how religious expression lives in the real world versus in sort of Absolutely. the institutionalized houses of worship. The same way that cultural uh, um, confluence and exchange happens in the real world, um, like 
that's that's awesome. But we should be thoughtful about it, and we should be critical of our engagement. And I often think that there's sort of a, I think about the maybe it's a stereotype, but this kind of like I'm really into like religious music. You know what I mean? Like by this person who's only willing to engage with it on a very surface level. I think your records prompt somebody to dig a lot deeper. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm glad for that because I like the idea of, of these, you know, embodied by this very personal thing that you're presenting, that all these ideas live within these records um, in complicated and, and I think very multifaceted ways. So I'm, I'm glad that... I'm glad, you know, I know I, I just, I've just wandered off into the woods with this idea, but, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. No, no, I appreciate that. And I think that, I, I mean, to me that, that is some, that is something my music does. It also challenges, uh, our industry or our, our community to, I mean, I, what I would, I, to some extent, what I would like it for it to do is to challenge people to, uh, think about all of those issues more about other or, or, or question other artists in those ways. So why are you making the music you're making? Where does it, where is it really coming from? Right. Yeah. And, um, uh, something I think we don't, you mentioned East meets West. That also comes from me. That's, so that's something I really struggle with is like my bio and how to write about my work, because I don't think we have the language honestly to describe a lot of genres and ideas and how identity um, specifically in music is expressed, um, because we have also like my music is sort of, uh, sits in this, like, uh, there's a lot of artists who do, who are, there's the kind of the fine art world versus like the music industry. Right. So all of us who are like composers and, um, making more kind of avant-garde work, uh, I think are, are struggling with this or kind of at the, uh, what's the word, the, you know, at, at that kind of living on that line. Um, but in the music industry, for example, you know, your music needs to get put in a genre. And right. this is just for like the platforms, right? We've got rock, we've got, I guess, I don't know if they're still using like alternative quote unquote or, um, and pop and classical and whatever, all those words. And so I've kind of chosen to latch on to like ambient and experimental and sometimes electronic, even though my music isn't EDM. Um, but we, I think one of the problems is we really don't have the right language to describe so much music that is being made. That's all getting lumped into these categories of just kind of like other. Uh, and so I, I challenge us to evolve, you know, I really hope that that will happen because there is so much music out there that doesn't fit whatever arbitrary terms were made up like so many years ago and have like and now are used on on the platforms and on the online I don't really know why um but yeah I, I think that there could be a lot more room for yeah you know, unfortunately like metadata the way that tags and metadata works like you have to kind of pick the the, the certain terminology to, to the genres to put your music in a box basically but um you, you I challenge us to kind of think outside that box because that's just what also, like the work I'm making, it doesn't fit in a box, and I'm not going to be apologetic for that, you know. Well, I mean, and thank God because it should you shouldn't yeah. be like pe- people should not you know willingly <laughs> adhere to these arbitrary things. I do think about mm-hmm. how marketing music is is a very difficult thing to do, 
And, mm-hmm. and when you're trying to market something, the first thing you have to figure out is what it is you're trying to market. Cause that, you know, that, that sort of, um, dictates the, the, the methods and the path you take. So I think that it sounds to me a little bit like what you're describing is the, uh, the, the, the lack of cohesion between product and person, you know, like you're a, you're a person who has all of these things. And, and, and when I listen to the music, like you could, you could file this under, uh, psychedelic rock. If you, if you wanted, you could file it under classical, Mm -hmm. you could fire it on, file it under avant-garde, you know, but because that's, that's because you're making this thing that is resistant to categorization because, because people are resistant to categorization, you know, even to the degree that are, we're willing to self-define, you know, via our, uh, identities. I guess it's the whole, I contain multitudes thing, you know, like, (laughs) which which, I don't think you and I are going to solve how to come up with a better language for this at this exact (laughs) conversation. But I think only by having talks about it, would we ever come up with more, more thoughtful language to describe what it is we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, it's funny how I think to people, I don't know. I try to describe my music in ways that is relevant to my influences and the music I listen to and what I make and, and yeah, and literally what I was thinking about while making something. And, and then it's funny when people just are like, Oh, I didn't hear that. I heard this other thing. And I'm like, yeah, because like you were thinking about something else and you're listening to it, but yeah. it doesn't mean I'm wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> like I still liked it, but I heard this other thing and I'm like, that's fine. But sure. uh, you don't also have to be dismissal of like what I heard. <laughs> so that's like, that's a, cause you know, and I'm, I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm actually talking about is that there was a critic and whatever, it's just, just one of those things where like artists will get hung up on the way that they're described. And uh, there was a critic who was like, some, for Parted Plains, my last album, I was really thinking a lot about these um, folk tales from the Middle East and from um, Punjab. And uh, and, uh, and so in an in abstract way, the album was sort of a soundtrack. Um, and this artist, this sorry, this critic was like, I didn't hear that, but I think it could have been a soundtrack to like a sixties new wave film. And I was like, but like, isn't that, that's just like your, that's just cause you probably watched a lot of sixties new wave films. I don't know. Like, but isn't that kind of the same thing saying that it could be a soundtrack to a folktale versus a film, you know, and it's, I'm sure plenty of those sixties new new wave German films, whatever it was, are based like are recycled narratives that were, come from folktales so i don't know i it was sure. a thing that really struck me as you know how much the identity of the critic or the marketer or whatever is imbued in the in how yeah the, in the work in their, their critique of the artist's work so yeah. anyway i and think, either one is right or wrong i guess that's what i'm also getting to but sure. i think we all need to work harder to kind of expand our the way we think and the way we consider um all identity and art and you know, and, and the work. Yeah. And I think also, um, and I say this as a, I'm a critic, I guess. So I say this as a critic, but at the very least we should be, uh, open about our, about like for me to say this reminded me of, 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 uh, of a, you know, like a French new wave film from the sixties or something. Sure. Gorgeous. Great. That's a cool thing that it can remind me of that, you know? I have yeah. to be. I have to be careful as a critic not to ascribe that intention to the artist or 
to adopt some sort of my fa- probably my favorite and le- and like least enjoyable kind of criticism is this like criticism that pretends to be purely objective and i think that that's just like a i don't know it's a dead end for thinking and i, I don't know if it's 100% real ever you know so so i think about that as right. a and I and I think so. I I think that like that that writer, if if you can write about your personal engagement with music, and that's all any of us are really doing, in a mm-hmm. way that illuminates or shines new light on it, that that's great. But you know, yeah. But you got to be careful, right? Because you're you're not speaking for the artist. You're speaking in a weird way through the artist. And uh, I don't know. That's a that's a you get into tricky water, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That was a, and especially on a record like Parted Plains, which you didn't include lyrics on that one. So, mm-hmm. like, people were able to sort of go wherever they wanted. Um, but that was a fantastic record. Did it, did what led you to, what led you to go in a purely instrumental direction? I actually, I started doing, working on that album when I realized I just, uh, again, it actually happened in a, in, in a similar way to this re- most recent one where I wanted to kind of constrain myself to a very limited set of tools. And I, I realized that I had never just as a, like a composer, as, as, as composers often do, I, I use that. I don't know. I think that also the terminology around describing an artist is kind of weird. Cause I feel like composer has this very loaded kind of toity, um, notion. Uh, but anyway, uh, Often people who make music as solo artists uh, might make a study or an etude. And so I started that album actually as like a study of of in sitar and electronics. And I just wanted to kind of improvise with sitar and uh, play around with some synth chord progressions and timbres and see what happened. Uh, And that, yeah, so that's how that started. And that process obviously kind of evolved um, through the different, different songs, the different tracks on that album. Um, But that, that's why I, I wanted to abandon the voice on that album just to really devote it to sitar and working on, um, and and forcing myself to play more sitar, but explore uh, the ideas of what I could do with just kind of quickly playing sitar, recording it, kind of going back and forth. I also recorded that all on my own and, um, and the, the process of the composing and performing, recording and mixing was really iterative. You know, it was happening all the same time when I was working on it, um, which doesn't always happen if you are, if you write a bunch of songs in advance and then go to a studio. Uh, so yeah, I w- I think I was really just initially devoted to the process and then the, the thinking about the folk tales and everything came later. Yeah. So you almost, mm-hmm. so you sort of layered the, the narrative ideas on it, you know, after that was, that was, that was, that was after the initial it was sort of. After the first couple, I made a couple of those tracks and then was thinking about the stories and then came back to the tracks. And then a few of those songs were actually written. So at that same time or that same like few months, it was a few months, um, Within that period, I was actually asked to do a live score, a, a section of a live score performance to um, the film called The Adventures of Prince Ahmed, which is a, our first, fe- longest surviving and first feature length animated film by a German filmmaker, I'm going to butcher her name, called Bada Reinecker from 1927 or 26. So I performed, so I wrote music and performed, um, to one act of that. And that, uh, 
film is based on a story from 1001 Nights. So I had been thinking about the Punjabi folktales and working on some of those songs. And then I worked on the score and did this live performance. And then after the performance, I kind of uh, reconfigured those pieces into three of the tracks on Parted Plains. Um, so it kind of all just happened at the same time. And, and that was the, the Adventures of Prince Ahmed happening while I was already thinking about the Punjabi folktales was totally a coincidence. And then wow. to me, it all just made sense to kind of devote that album to, um, to those, to, to folklore from, from the East, but really that conveys so many global narratives and has been, and just sort of the idea of how these narratives have been interpreted and translated over time. Right. Because even though so I, you know, my, my parents speak Punjabi at home. I'm not a fluent Punjabi speaker, but I do read some, but I, all the folklore from that era or from th those stories, um, have been, you know, translated by British authors and the versions I have read were those translations. So that was something I was also thinking about a lot. And, and then also as an artist, um, uh, kind of my contribution as this as this artist with a hybrid identity who uses technology and uses star um, and sort of kind of recycling those narratives again and reinterpreting them. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. In, Thanks. In, in a great fun. yeah, and that and that film has uh, I think it I think it's a very um, I've, I've seen that and I've seen musicians mm -hmm. do li live scores. You know, I saw the. Yeah. I saw the Bandunian do a, a, a live performance as well, sync to, oh, wow. to, to some of that. And so I think it's like that, just this deep feeling of like, I mean, there's something so incredible about that animation, you know? And then when you mm. think about, oh, yeah. as you mentioned, all of the cross-cultural, the crosstalk between cultures, you know, as these things become um, discussed and, and I think as long as you're able to maintain the specificity and not lose sight of the uh, the intriguing differences between cultures, mm -hmm. then I think it's I think it's like such a it's such a remarkable and cool thing that happens. I I get nervous when people try to smooth out all of those and those differences or those you know. Uh, and just focus on nothing but the commonalities, because I think that you lose a little bit right. if you only do that. But if you're able to really engage with it in manner similar to yourself, I think it's like it's it, it creates such multifaceted and layered work, like like this record and and like all you know all your records. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. In in a really great interview, and and, and we can we can close with this question, and I can let you get back to your Sunday, mm -hmm. but um. <laughs> In in a great interview with Bandcamp from a couple of years ago, you said that I want to quote you directly. You said the sure. <laughs> the divine in Sikhism has no form and no place, and is also timeless. Um, and that's such a that's such a uh, an interesting concept. I wondered if that conception of mm -hmm. of God or sort of the all all beingness of the universe, you know, does, does, mm -hmm. do you think that at, 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 that that's, that's part of what drives your music or that music is maybe even a way of recognizing or experiencing that, that sense of universal oneness? Oh yeah. 100%. Oh yeah. It's the, it's the reason I love playing live music and it's, I mean, that's exactly the feeling like to me. Um, yeah. I mean, it's also the reason I, I struggle a lot with, like I was saying earlier, but organized religion and certain 
facets of organized religion, but I do come back to some of the ident- the principles of Sikhism because I do feel um, strongly about that. That I, I don't I don't have it. It does Sikhism doesn't have the same Judeo Christian view of God. It is God is oneness. It is the universal conscious mind um, or universal consciousness, and uh, and and that involves a oneness with humanity. So, and I absolutely feel like music is a way to access that. Uh, and yeah, it's, I, I can't wait to play live again and tour again. Cause I think that that is something that is so, so it's such a great way of, um, connecting with, with people, with humanity, with communities. I've always thought that maybe the most exciting kinds of music, whether it's punk or whether it's gospel, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it is kind of about an obliteration of the, the dividing line between performer and audience or, between the, yeah. per- the person playing and the person hearing. Do you, do you feel like that's a, a part of what you're talking about when you talk about live musical experiences? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's also the the whole, like, notion of going to see, like, the, the, the kind of idea of celebrity and music definitely changes that. So, like, what you're saying with gospel, with punk music, um, I mean, I, when I started playing shows, it was, like, noise shows and warehouses and... Um, you know, houses and, and basements and whatnot. And I did a lot of do it, done a lot of DIY touring and, and played house venues where there's really no separation between the performer and the audience. Um, and, you know, I'm just, there's no stage, you know? So uh, yeah. And that's, that's exactly pretty much what I grew up with, like going to services as a kid. Um, and I, I do feel like that's, that's really like the purest way of experiencing it. I, I feel like it's a very pure way of experiencing music and community. Absolutely. Well, thank mm-hmm. you for taking so much time to talk with me about these records and these ideas and put up with my, my occasionally incoherent mumbling about, uh, <laughs> religious concepts. <laughs> no, I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate where we went with all of the, the discussion. So-